Hello, my friends. So glad you're here. We start a new series today called King Jesus. And I didn't pick this series because we're in a political time. I picked this series because all this year my uh, theme word has been mentor and been studying and studying about making disciples. And this is a theme that we need to get a hold of to understand what it means to be a follower. We need to understand more about Jesus. So uh, as we look at this theme, it's going to be four weeks long, and I'm excited about each piece as we look at it. Today is kind of introductory and overview. Uh, The title specifically is Not a Fuzzy Jesus. We have a lot of fuzzy ideas about Jesus, and there's a lot of uh, really strange ones out there. We're going to cover a few that might catch us by surprise as there's elements inside of us that kind of hang on to pieces even of some of these fuzzy ideas. Uh, Working around here is a lot of fun, and uh, sometimes I run into something that's uh, worth passing along, and so this is a quote that comes straight from the office. I know what's wrong with America right now. We're all out of sorts, and there's no place to go to get more sorts. That's our office manager, Sam Shires. And so there's a quotable quote for you right there. Uh, We're all out of sorts, and we don't know where to get more sorts. So actually, it's a rather good introduction to the idea that Jesus is king. And so you've come at the right place, and this is a right time. There's never a bad time to come to King Jesus to, he knows how to sort things out. He knows how to give us more sorts. He knows how to bring order out of our chaos. He reigns and rules and brings the peace that we're looking for. And so that's what this is all about. Now, in early in the ministry of Jesus, he gave it some time, a, a number of things he had already revealed. He'd revealed through power and through miracles and through events and through words. And then he turns to his disciples and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And he uses the phrase up front, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples know he's talking about himself uh, very clearly. And then he says, after they kind of say what people are saying, they're saying, some think you're John the Baptist, come back. Some people think you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets, which is kind of a strange thing to think, but you never know what the populace thinks, right? There's a lot of strange ideas out there. And then Jesus turns to his own disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter says, you are the Christ, or in some translations, you are the Messiah. It's the same, whether it's Hebrew or in the Greek. You are the king, the anointed one, the long-awaited prophesied one, the one that's going to be anointed by the Spirit of God to be our forever king. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus affirmed Peter in that and said, ding, 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 ding. That's not a direct quote. Uh, Correct! You know, he, he says to him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Simon, son of Barjona, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. That's who he is. He is King Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. So it's a very important question we need to get a hold of. Who do you say that I am? Even so, even after they got the answer correct, There is still a lot of surprises to come because he's not the kind of king they expected him to be. And here's an example of one of those surprises. In Mark 
Chapter 441, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so that, again, is an excellent question. Who is this? Now, I believe it's every person's responsibility to nail down your answer to this question. So whether you're here with us today or whether you've joined us online for the first time and you're not sure who Jesus is and what these claims are about, if he really is the resurrected king of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords, or just some guy of history or some prophet or some teacher, you need to get a hold of the answer to this question, who is this? Now, I really think it's fascinating that some people think, I don't really believe it. Well, whether you believe it or not, you better have really good reasons to not believe. This is everybody's responsibility to know. It's a great big gamble to not know the answer to this question. So, Interestingly, the places where I'm most befuddled by the opinions about Jesus is right within the church, right within the ranks of those people who think they believe in him, and yet they don't have an elevated view that really is what he deserves and what he's worthy of. And so I want to begin with this notion that I see, and people don't realize they have this, but they have this. In fact, I have this, and I have to make sure that I don't have this, and I need to repent of it every time. Point number one, this is the first fuzzy Jesus. He is not a part-time Jesus. He's not a holiday king. He's not a holiday Jesus, where some people have the sentimental idea of Jesus. You know, they grew up going to church. They grew up with Christmas being a warm and beautiful time, and they kind of think of Jesus as the, the babe in the manger and the symbol of hope, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's all those warm, fuzzy feelings. And so they come to church on Christmas, or they might have a symbolic view of, of the empty tomb or the empty cross, and there's hope in the universe because God is good, and they have the symbolic view of Jesus and might come to church on Easter. And maybe they have children, and so they want their children to have the same experience they had when they were children so they come to church on Christmas, they come to church on Easter, and they want this sentimental goodness idea of Jesus to kind of wrap their children up the way they were wrapped up, and they have a very part-time view of who Jesus is. He's king. Now, here's something about we Americans. When we start talking about kings, we don't get it. Because we've never been in a kingdom. We've always been in a democracy. Unless you came from somewhere else and you fled to here because uh, you were a part of a kingdom that was, uh, of course, earthly. And there's no good earthly king. is not like King Jesus. And so in our own history, we kind of get the resistance that we have. But we've built into our own resistors resistance to authority, resistance to kingship, after all, we left kingdom, and we now rule ourselves in democracy, and we get to bring about the leaders we want, and if they're bad, we take them out, and we want to pick and choose, and we want to have our own control. That's running really contrary to the idea of a good king who's never evil. If you have a kingdom that's run by an all-powerful king who's good all the time, that's the kind of kingdom we're talking about. And when you start resisting that, ooh, watch out. 
What is it inside of you that's resisting? And so you want to move away from anything part-time in your thinking about King Jesus. It's not just Christmas and Easter, is it? A lot of us have kind of a part-time view of Jesus. He's just kind of a Sunday Jesus. And so we come and we worship. And we put in our, we, it's kind of like we check off the list. And so as long as we're coming Sunday, as long as we're doing these few things, we know that we're pretty good because we got the part-time Jesus on our side and he's going to take care of the rest. And really, he's full-time Jesus, reigning and ruling, calling the shots all the time. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. Here's a warning. If you have a part-time view of Jesus, this is absolutely revolting to Jesus himself. In Revelation 3.15, we read this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And so within the ranks of those who claim the name of Jesus and claim they like Jesus, if it's a lukewarm claim, it's revolting to him. So let's be rid of any part-time notion where Jesus, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe he's good. I believe he's a good teacher. And I, oh, yeah, I believe in God. That is a part-time notion rather than the guy who calls the shots that we say, yes, sir, he's king, commander, Chief, he, he, he has all the rules. He has, he has the ability to then judge according to the rules and reward according to his standards. Oh, man, none of this part-time thinking on our part. We're getting kind of fuzzy uh, in our part-time Jesus. So as a review, not a part-time Jesus or not a holiday Jesus is point number one. And the next fuzzy idea is not a fire insurance Jesus. Now, by not a fire insurance Jesus, it's almost like a fire insurance transaction. Uh, it's the idea that, uh, well, I believe in Jesus. I gave my life to him. I asked him to be my savior. So whew, I'm going to make it to heaven and I'm not going to go into the fires of hell. Uh, so tell me about your faith. Well, long ago, uh, my life was kind of askew this way and this and this happened. And then I gave my life to Jesus and and it's all about that first faith transaction and whether that was real or not so that you could have the fire insurance. And so now you're in the kingdom, you have the fire insurance, and you're not going to hell, you're going to go into the kingdom of heaven. You know what? Uh, that is a really fuzzy idea of what it means to be a part of the kingdom. So here's a thought. I just want to get in there. Uh, Jesus' mission was bigger than simply getting us into the kingdom of heaven. When we die, it's about the kingdom of heaven getting into us here and now. And in college, I read fat theology books on the, the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven is both here already and not yet in a fully, fully uh, fulfilled and brought about in complete restoration because we're in this mixture of a kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven right now, but our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven with that first faith transaction. And so he really wants to have his kingdom in us, 
and his kingdom reigning and bringing order and rule and causing his kingdom blessing to come into our lives right here and now. It's not just something we're waiting for someday. The kingdom is near because he was here. The kingdom is in us when we accept him and the spirit of God comes in us. And he begins to reign and rule and bring order to our chaotic lives and bring more blessing to us right now. I want to do a little comparison this is not a political thing. This is more just a strange comparison about recruitment tactics in World War I and maybe even World War II. Here's a World War I poster. Uncle Sam wants you. You know, I don't think this would work today. He looks angry and he's pointing an accusing finger and, and bringing out this moral responsibility, duty feeling inside of people with this moral authority, accusing finger pointed and people signed up in droves from this. It's like, wow, that's a different culture then than it is now. And it's also a very different kingdom and yet people still think Jesus is a lot like that. He's got this pointed finger, accusing finger, calling a moral authority in your life, and you need to shape up and be a part of my kingdom. And that is the furthest thing from the way Jesus elicits a recruitment in his kingdom. Here's a better picture. Here's his finger. He doesn't go like this. He, first of all, lets it be pierced through for us, demonstrating his love for us, and then he invites us, not pointing his finger at us, he invites us because here's what he wants, okay? And it's completely different. He doesn't just want an army in a spiritual uh, effort, although he wants that. He wants you to want him. That's a completely different thing. He wants you to want him to reign in your life. He wants you to know so well that he's so good that you actually want him to be king over you because you view it as a blessing. And you view his kingdom as a, such a blessing that you're, you just can't stop talking about how in his kingdom he's reigning, bringing blessing and peace and beauty and joy and he's just con con continues to just fill me with all the resources to live in this kingdom. And yet, here's what I find within the ranks of the believing church, and it saddens me, I still see the idea or the thought process that really puts more emphasis on the first transaction of faith than on the beauty of walking in obedience to our good and loving king where we want more of his authority in our life. I run into so people that they're so resistant to authority that they can't see it as a good thing. Do you see that today? So resistant to authority that no authority could possibly be good. Jesus brought so much love, so much grace, so much goodness that the response that is the right response is that we want to follow him. So here's the thought your birth story is not your best story. And neither is your rebirth story. I don't tell my birth story. My mom told my birth story occasionally. I'm not going to tell my birth story. It had nothing to do with it. I just kind of, I don't remember it. 
right? Now, but we still put a big emphasis on our rebirth story, but our rebirth story isn't the big story. The big story is the king and what he's doing in our whole story, right? Jesus is calling you to a life story of faith. The faith Jesus calls you to is an ongoing trust and allegiance to him. Now, I just did a quick definition of faith here. A lot of people think of faith as only believing in their head. That is not a biblical definition of faith. Okay? The faith Jesus calls you to is an ongoing trust. When he commands you, trust him so much, the command is good for you. And allegiance, because he's king. And he died for you. And he's brought you out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. And so, of course, you want to be loyal to him and follow near to him. So the faith Jesus calls you to is an ongoing trust and allegiance to him, his kingdom, and his mission. Okay? So it's a completely different recruitment tactic. It's not this. It's this, where he invites you to be a part of his kingdom. In Luke 9.23, we read, Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I usually read this like this, but it isn't. He wants you to want to deny yourself. Why? Because he loves you so much, you trust him and you want to give your allegiance where all the baggage the self-centered life is dropped in favor of honoring him and following him daily. So, he's not a part-time Jesus or a holiday Jesus. He's not a fire insurance Jesus. Not the traditionalist Jesus is point number three. Not the traditionalist Jesus. Now, I want to start with Luke uh, 5.39. And no one after drinking old wine wants new, for they say the old is better. That is a perfect traditionalist answer. (laughs) A traditionalist says, "I, I like it the old way. I like the way we used to do things. I like all the traditions that I grew up with. I like everything about these traditions. And yet we need to look at this quote within the whole quote of Jesus talking about new wine and old wine. And so it comes at the end here, he says, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. He's talking about this huge problem of his day. Because traditionalists, Pharisees and the teachers of the law, very big on their traditions and their man-made traditions, was where Jesus constantly had his clash. And the whole plan and purpose of God was to bring us from the old covenant into something better through Jesus. And the whole old covenant was pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of this new kingdom. And now he's here, he's bringing something better, and he ran into this clash, this brick wall of tradition that wouldn't receive the new which is better because they said the old is better. And that is a very classic thing that's still taking place today. Um, We get used to what we get used to. 
And when we are so used to what we're used to and we like what we're used to, everything new we tend to resist as foreign and wrong. And we have to somehow figure out what is the difference between methodology, which is changing and temporary, and mission and message, which is unchanging and permanent, timeless. Those are two very different things, okay? And that's something we need to get a hold of. Before we talk further about that, we've got a lot of confusion in our churches all across. I can only speak for America because that's kind of where I'm familiar with looking at the state of the church today. All across America, we've got a cruise ship mentality of churches instead of a rescue ship mentality of churches. We are busy... um, fighting about menu and what food is being brought before us and fighting about what forms of preferences we enjoy in our churches because we treat our churches like cruise ships instead of rescue ships. And so we're fighting about methodology and we're fighting about, um, you know, whether it's hymns or uh, whether it's organs or whether it's pews or chairs or stained glass or no windows or lights, or all this methodology stuff, and we're, we're getting all hung up on cruise ship idea. Listen, rescue ships have no passengers except for rescued people. Rescue ships don't have passengers talking about the amenities and their preferences. Rescue ships have crew members who are taking orders as they're taking risks in their very lives to go out in the middle of the storm to save lives and bring them aboard. And then even the saved lives are so grateful, but they're told to stay out of the way. We're on a mission here, and we got to take care of you. Don't get in the way unless you're able-bodied, and we can tell you what to do. Are you going to take orders? Okay, because we're on a mission here, and that's timeless and permanent. We need to understand what the why is and not argue about all the changing what's if the what, the new what, is actually accomplishing the why better. Okay? So here's another quote. Don't confuse the temporary changing methodology with the timeless unchanging message or mission and message. Methodologies change while the rescuing mission and message remains the same. This was the fight that Jesus entered into. This was the fight the apostles had to fight with constantly. They had the Jerusalem council. They had to deal with the controversy between Gentiles are now in, what? Shouldn't they be circumcised? And all this controversy about the methods when it was about, there's something whole new now that Jesus has done. It's so much better. And people were digging in their heels. Now, I'm glad I didn't live back then because I'm a traditionalist deep inside. I like the old ways. I grew up with the old ways. And so each change that we've made, I kind of go, I have to to really wrestle down the why to make changes with the what. I grew up singing in choirs. I love singing harmony. And now we're a part of kind of a concert. Can't even hear my own voice sometimes, situation. But we're trying to reach people who didn't grow up with choirs or harmonies, or hymns, etc., etc. So we're on a rescue ship. So let's review here a little bit. We've got not a holiday Jesus, or part-time Jesus, not a fire insurance Jesus, not the traditionalist Jesus, 
not the new age Jesus. This one's a slippery one, and it's very real in our time and our place. The new age Jesus is so wild because people are after a spirituality and they redefine who Jesus is. And it's no longer the Jesus of history who actually taught this and this and this. They have nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus about sin, the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom. It's really about the Jesus, this Christ consciousness inside that makes me feel this experience, spirituality, and, and they redefine Jesus in fuzzy terms. And we have to be very, very careful that we define Jesus on his terms as he defined his who he is, and what his mission is about, and what it all stands for. And let's not get fuzzy on this. We need Jesus to weigh in on who he is. And so I think a good place to take a look here is 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. The time is now, folks. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I'm, I'm just a few years ago, maybe even less, I was struck by this. No time in history was there ever a time where we could gather around ourselves teachers. We would have to go to teachers to learn. But now we gather teachers around us through internet, through radio. We pick and choose what teachers we listen to. They will gather around them a great number of teachers. That's our world. We pick and choose who we want to listen to, and they're the ones that we think are right. We have lots of teachers that we pick and choose to gather around us so that they say what our itching ears want to hear. It's almost like it doesn't matter what I say because you've already picked your teachers. Whoa! Let's pick the Bible. Let's pick sound doctrine, which is what? It's the teaching of the apostles about Jesus. Our New Testament is precisely that. It's the teachings of the apostles about who Jesus really is, what he's really done, and what that means for us, and what he has accomplished. When we get this fuzzy notion of Jesus, and if it's the spirituality, it's all the goosebumps, wow, and it's really real. Yes, it is real. Let's consider its source. And Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He said, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Now, if we've got a bunch of masqueraders that present themselves as very, very good and angels of light, and Satan himself can do this, how do we discern what's truth? We need to learn to respect and get well-versed in sound doctrine. We spend a lot of time ourselves with good teachers to help us understand what the Bible says about who Jesus really is. This Bible is all about King Jesus from the first cover, anticipating his coming, all the way to the last page where he is king of kings, lord of lords, and there is no other king, there is no other lord, there is no other God. He's the pinnacle of it all. It's all here. Okay? So here's our review. 
Not a holiday Jesus, not a fire insurance Jesus, not a traditionalist Jesus, not a new age Jesus, not the protest Jesus. This is a new one that seems to be coming alive real loud and real strong and kind of frustrating where everybody thinks Jesus came to start a revolution and he did, but it's not what you're thinking. The way he did it was completely different than the way you're doing it. It's not a revolution of rants and shouts and screaming protests and and news feeds and social feeds and posts. It doesn't have anything to do with that. That smells like worldly weapons, kingdom of darkness stuff. Jesus never even addressed the ills of Roman government. He came with humility and love and service and laid down his life for people. That's what he said. Come and follow my method. And if you do that, we'll turn this world upside down. When I started thinking about that, I started thinking about the 70s and a 70s kid toy called Weebles. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. That's what we believers are now. We had the kingdom of God in us. We were upside down people. If you can imagine these weebles, they're, I, you know, as a kid, you kind of try to figure things out. You can just knock them all over and they always come right back up. They weeble, they wobble, but they don't fall down. That's my life. Why? Because I've been oriented to Jesus. And I weeble, I mean, I wobble. <laughs> this weeble wobbles. And it gets knocked around, but it whoop, 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 whoop. There's a whole bunch of weebles out there. They're oriented completely differently. If you watch this, I can't do this very well, but they're weebles that they wobble also. But they can't fall up. They can only live down. That's where they live, and they're frustrated, and they're angry, and they're troubled. And weebles wobble, but they can't fall up. That's what Jesus came to save. And he saves them not through rants, not through pointed finger, not through accusation, not through political moves, not through a power manifestation, not the weapons of this world. He came through and gave his life to serve others. And then they said, what is that that's in you? And as soon as they asked for the Jesus to be in them, they became a weeble who wobbles right side up. And guess what, folks? Someday we won't wobble. Right now, we live in overlapping kingdoms. It's, it's like we've got this thing inside of us that keeps us right side up, and that's Jesus. That's the Spirit of God inside of us. And we get knocked around, and you come close to, like almost flat on the ground, but then you're lifted back up by the Spirit of God inside of you, and you wobble to center yourself again upward in Jesus. And when he returns, there is no overlapping kingdoms. So the, all the followers of Jesus got a hold of this and they started living this out. And they lived it out in such a way that one by one, these upside down weevils would be turned right side up and more and more right side up weevils were taking place. So whole cultures were changing. And so the people looking around says, look at what they're doing. And here's what they said, Acts 17, 6. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And they hated it. They drug Jason and his whole band out to stone him, and they couldn't find Paul, and they were trying to get rid of these weebles who they get knocked around, they wobble, but they keep coming back, and they keep changing things, and our whole industry, which is built on an economic system of idolatry, sounds similar, doesn't it? It's being changed. It's hurting our pocketbook, and they wanted to stomp out this kingdom of Jesus, and we were wobbling 
but we're not going to be knocked down because we have a king. His kingdom is sure, and he's going to return, and he's going to set things straight. And we're all out of sorts, but turn to King Jesus, and you're going to come back to center in peace and joy and love and the forbearance that you need, the patience you need with the very person that knocked you over is going to come through where you can be kind and gentle and good. Why? Because Jesus is. And he's inside. And that thing that was up here making me upside down has shifted by the power of the Spirit and brought it down into a place. Now, I wobble, but I wobble in the right direction because I follow King Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for giving us a kingdom that is so powerful, that sorts things out, that shifts things inside, that gives me great joy. Lord God, if there are those who are still wondering about you, help them to wrestle down the answer to the question, who am I? The question you asked, who do you say that I am? That we would want to want you. Want to want you so much that we invite you to reign and rule. That everything you say, we trust. That everything you say goes, goes. And we say, Lord, thank you for helping me to stand up. Thank you for standing at my side and making me strong. I want to be a part of your mission. Here am I. Send me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.